Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. The American long-haul trucker has been a mainstay of our highways, well, since we've had highways. The 1950s gave the United States an interstate system and a new way to move things from one place to another, sitting atop a big old truck. And that trucker life appealed to a man named Harry Joe Turner. In 1979, Harry Joe was 28 years old, married, and living in Winchester, Virginia. He was a trucker, and his job was to deliver piloting a big rig that reportedly weighed in at 80,000 pounds. Based on a description from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, Harry Joe's short life had been fairly eventful. They said he was, quote, an ex-Navy sharpshooter, an amateur boxer, the winner of 24 fights, the loser of four, and donator of 27 pints of blood. Why that last achievement made the newspaper, we can't say. But we're sure that the Winchester Red Cross appreciated all those donations. In any case, in August of 1979, it wasn't blood that concerned Harry Joe Turner. It was condiments. More specifically, a load of ketchup and mustard that he was to haul from Winchester to Fredericksburg, Virginia. On August 28th, Harry Joe and his truck set out on US-17, prepared to make the 160-mile round trip. Per the Times-Dispatch, it was a nighttime drive and a rainy one, split here and there by lightning. On his way out of Winchester, Harry Joe stopped to eat at the big man's restaurant. Harry Joe was himself a big man, very tall and broad and likely unafraid out on the road by himself, even close to 11 at night. It was a late start to a long evening, but as Harry Joe told the Winchester Evening Star, he thought he could grab a nap at the warehouse after he dropped everything off. So, after stopping at a local gas station for a Mountain Dew, he was ready to go, with a load worth $80,000. For 20 minutes or so, the trip was uneventful, though Harry Joe told the Times-Dispatch that he hadn't made this particular drive before. According to writer Jim Miles, who interviewed Harry Joe that autumn, the night was almost too quiet. 
US-17 was practically deserted for the first 17 or 18 miles of his trip. But then, headlights shone in the distance. Harry Joe had spotted another big rig. Per Jim Miles, he decided to contact the driver over CB radio. Hey, southbound 18-wheeler, where are you going to, buddy? It was normal trucker etiquette, a gesture that Harry Joe had performed dozens of times. But on this occasion, it went unreciprocated. There was no return greeting. And as Harry Joe told the dispatch, quote, from that moment on, it's like I walked into another world. Per author Fred Whiting, Harry Joe described an onslaught of sensory intrusions, lights flashing in his mirrors, static coming in hot over the CB radio, screeching noises filling the air. And then things escalated even further. In a later report, Fred Whiting wrote, quote, the noise got louder and the light got larger and an object bigger than the truck came over the top of the cab. Turner heard two thumps on the roof. It's fair to say that, in a matter of moments, Harry Joe Turner's night had officially gotten weird, and things were about to get much worse. Harry Joe and his condiments had been accosted. Now, what comes next varies depending on who reports it and when Harry Joe did the telling. We'll go with what he initially said he recalled. There was blindingly bright light, nothing like the headlamps of any truck pouring over Harry's cab. Harry remembered being seized by a kind of force that seemed to wrench its way into the truck. He would, in every description, use the word bionic. That was the pressure that gripped the left side of his body. Later, he'd say that he saw a form or being in that moment. As he told the Times Dispatch, quote, I didn't know what to call these things. One was on the roof. The other had coiled Something, an arm maybe, through Harry Joe's open window. As his cab began to raise off the asphalt, as if by a magnet, he felt that bionic force pressing into his flesh. The thing, the creature, had him. Harry Joe may have been big enough to protect himself on his own, but he also carried a pistol. Per the Winchester Evening Star, Harry Joe drew his weapon and fired at the creatures. He emptied his gun, it had no effect. Now, if we were to stick to Harry Joe's telling, things get very fragmented here. He remembered this story, he said, in bits and pieces, telling different reporters and alleged scientists various information at various times. But in the interest of you, our audience, we'll streamline things. Harry Joe claimed that he had been transported, you guessed it, onto some kind of unidentified flying object. He was then surrounded by strange beings, like the ones who had accosted him. Harry Joe later told writer Jim Miles that, quote, My best recollection is that they were like you or me, only they were dressed up in white clothes like a surgeon. They also had white caps, and when they lifted up the fronts of them, there were numbers, like identification numbers, written across their foreheads. Jim Miles wrote that Turner said the alien spoke a language that sounded like a tape recorder being played backwards. To communicate with him, the alien simply spoke slowly, and they had a lot to tell Harry Joe. In between physical examinations, which Harry Joe mentioned but didn't provide detail on, he was taken on a very educational field trip. The Evening Star and the Times-Dispatch both reported that Harry Joe visited the moon, 
he saw Neil Armstrong's footprints, which, admittedly, would be an amazing flex. And then, according to the Evening Star, Harry Joe recalled a trip that took him across solar systems. He claimed to have traveled beyond Alpha Centauri, which he told the Time Dispatch reporters he'd never heard of. And Harry Joe told another interviewer, Fred Whiting, that he was also shown post-apocalyptic civilizations decimated by war. Humanity's future is what the beings told him. The aliens knew because they'd been through it themselves. Harry Joe told writer Jim Miles, quote, they want to help us, but they say things have gotten pretty far here and the end is coming soon. Per the Evening Star, Harry Joe's next clear memory was of bright light. And then he was in the parking lot for the warehouse where his delivery was due, surrounded by concrete, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, in the United States of America, on planet Earth. It was still nighttime. He checked his watch, 11.17 p.m. So it had been less than half an hour since he'd set out on his trip, right? But when Harry made it inside the warehouse and checked their clock, it told a very different story. The time there was actually 3 a.m. The Evening Star reported that Harry Joe checked the odometer on his truck and the separate hubometer on the trailer. Both had registered the same mileage, 17 miles. Somehow, Harry Joe Turner had traveled from the road outside Winchester to Fredericksburg, an 80-mile trip, without putting more than 20 miles on his rig. And somehow, that extraordinary journey had taken close to four hours. Then, Harry Joe decided to check his gas gauge. As reporter George Stoddart wrote, somehow, quote, he'd burned 114 gallons of fuel, 74 more than the normal trip would require. Harry Joe wasn't sure what had happened. Had it been some kind of hallucination? If not, why him on this night? Was he going crazy? All he knew for sure was that it had been very, very weird. He told the Times Dispatch that he unloaded the cargo as quickly as possible and drove straight back to Winchester. There was no stopping for that nap that he'd originally planned. We imagine that he didn't feel much like sleeping. The next few weeks were not easy ones. Harry Joe Turner told his wife and then his family about his experience. Per Fred Whiting, Harry Joe was supposed to make a trip to Pennsylvania that very next night, but instead, he collapsed next to his truck cab. When he was seen by a doctor, who described him as having, quote, busted a blood vessel in his eye, Harry Joe told him about the UFO, too. The doctor sent him to see a psychiatrist. Harry Joe reported a variety of strange feelings and symptoms. Per the Times Dispatch, he felt his right arm was gaining bionic strength. He had cravings for foods he'd never enjoyed before, and he developed an interest in reading, even though he told reporters that he'd only ever read, quote, The Evening Star and Hustler before. The dispatch reported that Harry was searching for answers in what he was reading, but that he often had to read each thing twice. He said that that second read was actually for the aliens, since they were using his left eye. He was incredibly sensitive to light and sound. Screeching noises would drive him to his knees. And the worst of it, it seems that the aliens weren't done with Harry Joe Turner. He told the Evening Star that a few days after his abduction, he found himself compelled to rush out of his home and hop in his truck. Soon, he found himself standing in a rural part of town, soaking wet. 
The aliens had called him to that spot to question him about the gold cross he was wearing around his neck. They didn't want to take him on their spaceship that night, which was, quote, shaped like an upside-down ashtray, because then it would have to be sterilized. Then he drove home alone, in his wet clothes. I'm sure you've heard the old adage that you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do, are you making time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with Everything Everywhere Daily, you can easily make that goal a reality. Everything Everywhere Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. One listener says the show truly makes my day more enjoyable and entertaining. Fans of the show are so passionate, they even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who've listened to all 900-plus and counting episodes. I highly recommend you check out Everything Everywhere Daily's recent episodes on Why Are There No Flying Cars? and The Little Ice Age That Happened 700 Years Ago. Learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere Daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Harry Joe's family watched as his life fell apart. He was briefly institutionalized, then allowed to pursue outpatient treatment. Then he was arrested after a 110-mile-an-hour road race with local police. Harry Joe said that aliens were controlling his body that day and that he couldn't slow down even though he wanted to. That explanation didn't stop local officials from setting a court date. His family told the Evening Star that Harry Joe was somehow able to uncover a plot they'd hatched to have him hypnotized to find out what had really happened that night on the road to Fredericksburg. According to Harry, the aliens had told him about the plan. And the aliens said that it would have been pointless anyway. They'd just embed his brain with a story full of lies. Per the Evening Star, the aliens also gave him the power to predict the future. Everything from the hands of playing cards to the dates of babies' births. Though everyone in Winchester likely knew of Harry Joe Turner's otherworldly experience, it was not widely covered in the news. In fact, only two newspapers, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and the Winchester Evening Star, seemed to have reported on this story. And it took one strange thing, nearly six weeks to track down the latter article. It seems that 1979 was a rarely archived year for the Evening Star, which has since been absorbed into its sister publication, the Winchester Star. When we finally found a library that had a copy, we received a Xerox in the mail, along with an apologetic note from the librarian. The article she sent was partially unreadable because it seems that someone had snuck into the library and stamped a giant UFO across its middle. Maybe people in Winchester, Virginia, weren't convinced that Harry Joe's story was true. But there were others, researchers and reporters of extraterrestrial phenomenon, who were prepared to take him very seriously. Representatives of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, and the slightly more excitingly titled UFO Update headed to Winchester. We've already mentioned both of these men, 
Fred Whiting and Jim Miles, respectively. They had their own interviews with Harry Joe. Whiting, in particular, was tasked with judging the veracity of Turner's story. After all, he was MUFON's state section director for Northeastern Virginia. And, based on his reporting, he took that job very seriously. Whiting had read the original Winchester Evening Star article and later the Richmond Times-Dispatch reporting, but he wanted to conduct his own investigation. Despite his organization's stances, Whiting wasn't out to prove that Harry Joe had been abducted. He was simply interested in the truth. As such, he talked to people in town and gathered as many opinions as he could. Here's a sampling of the quotes he included in his report. Even his own mother said that Harry Joe could occasionally stretch the truth, but something definitely had to happen or he feels that it happened. His preacher agreed. He was quite distraught. The experience was extremely real to him. I don't think he made it up. And his mother-in-law didn't think that he'd have it in him to carry on with such an elaborate hoax. He might make it up, but he wouldn't take it this far. I don't think he would torture himself for something that wasn't true. But the men who worked with Harry Joe had markedly different opinions. His former employer told Whiting, He could have made it up. I call Harry a bluff. And at his current job, the terminal's mechanic offered this. Harry Turner is as full of as a Christmas turkey. The terminal's manager, Mr. Little, was more elaborate. Harry has what I'd describe as an elephant's mouth and a hummingbird's ass. Why were they so ready to disbelieve Harry Joe? After all, he was said to have proof of his unbelievable journey. The mileage on his truck didn't match the drive that he apparently took. But according to Whiting, that paperwork had gone conveniently missing by the time that he asked for it. Harry Joe said that he had no idea what had happened to it. And Mr. Little, the terminal manager, didn't have his own records at the terminal for comparison. Whiting himself seems unsure of Harry Joe. The trucker was certainly under extreme pressure. He was generally nervous and had begun to chain smoke. Whiting observed a man who had visited many doctors, but had no diagnosis outside of a possible, quote, conversion disorder. That is a neurological reaction that can't be explained, but could be tied to a psychological or emotional experience. But had there been an abduction? Fred Whiting's evaluation? Further study was necessary. Whether that ever came, we don't know. Maybe the men around Harry Joe were right. Maybe he had gotten up to something shady that night in August and needed to come up with an explanation for his prolonged absence. And maybe... In the heat of the moment, an alien abduction had seemed like the best answer. Maybe he'd experienced some drug-induced psychosis. Some truckers did use various forms of amphetamines to help them drive through the night. There are lots of answers that make more sense than an alien ship floating above the highway in Virginia and targeting this particular man. Except for one strange thing. The librarian who found that Winchester Evening Star article for us? She stumbled across something else, too. The day after Harry Joe's story was printed, its author published a follow-up, but not about Harry Joe. Instead, he covered UFO sightings, 
from the week before Harry Joe's alleged abduction. Reporter George Stoddard spoke with Linda Evans, a resident of a nearby town. She said she'd gotten home from an evening church service with her children and headed inside to clean the kitchen, leaving the children outside to play with a neighbor. It was nearly nine o'clock, and within moments, the children began to scream. By the time Linda made it outside, there was nothing there. But the children described a silent, swiftly moving object zipping over their heads. Quote, a white object ringed with flashing lights seven feet over the antenna of the house. It was headed straight towards Fredericksburg, Virginia. Maybe another parent wouldn't have believed her children, who were terrified and still screaming. But Linda told the Evening Star that she'd seen a similar craft herself just a few summers before. If I hadn't have seen those things, I wouldn't have believed what Mr. Turner said in the paper, she said. Now I wish we'd put what we saw in the paper. But that's just the thing. Linda was used to keeping quiet. She told the Evening Star, quote, We were afraid that if we reported these spaceships, people would think we were crazy. Back in high school in West Virginia, they taught us that all these UFO sightings were only government testing, and we should not say anything about it because it was secret. Linda wasn't the only person who saw a UFO that night. Per the Evening Star, other calls had come in. So maybe poor Harry Joe's experience was more extraterrestrial than most gave him credit for. And maybe he did get a glimpse into our future. Maybe Harry Joe Turner reacted like many of us would. Maybe he just couldn't handle it. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, a full-length bonus episode every month, and plenty of other fun content. We hope you'll check it out. Please stay tuned for a moment to hear a promo from one of our favorite shows. We hope you'll give them a listen. Diabolical. Vengeance. Betrayal. Bad hair. Leaning. Hi everyone, this is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And we have a weekly podcast called A Date with Dateline, a recap of Dateline episodes. We talk about important issues like grainy surveillance footage, cell phone towers, Andrea Canning's white jeans, and Mankey's hankies. We delve into the details of any victim who's ever loved life or lit up a room. So find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and iTunes to make a date with Dateline. And remember, don't watch alone. A Date with Dateline is a podcast hosted by two professional amateur true crime TV experts with no formal training but evidence lockers filled with snark and uninformed opinions. 
A lot is being asked of people working in schools. Teachers have more and more things to do. The shortage of teachers right now, um, you know, having to fill a lot of holes and, and wear a lot of hats, it's, it's very difficult. There are steps you can take to manage stressful times, whether in the classroom or outside of work. For me personally, I can disconnect by just being outside. Laughing <laughs> works a lot. Find what helps at cdcfoundation.org slash how right now. A supportive work environment can help everyone working in schools stay resilient. Just finding people that can reassure me that I'm doing my best and that there are people out there who understand me and can help me through these situations. You are not alone. Leaning on each other and uh, colleagues in education is, is essential. You have to. We take care of one another. Find what helps at cdcfoundation.org slash how right now. That's cdcfoundation.org slash how right now.